Merry Christmas. You guys look so Christmassy this morning. How many of you are joining us either Wednesday or Saturday for Christmas Eve services? Hope to see you there. It's going to be a great, great time as we prepare for Christmas morning. Hey, if you have a Bible this morning, please open with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2. Uh, it's the third book of the New Testament. If you, if you find the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, Luke chapter 2, we're going to be there in just a moment. We're going to read the Christmas story together. The title of my message this morning is The Christmas Rush. The Christmas Rush. Uh, pray with me. Lord, we recognize your presence here, Holy Spirit, and we need you. We, we need your power. We need your wisdom and grace. Many, Lord, are here or have family members that are struggling with various issues of life, and we invite your healing power, we invite your grace to be with us this holiday season, this Christmas time, Lord, that you would show yourself strong, show your power, in Christ's name, amen. There are things in our life that we run toward, and there are things in our life that we run from, things that we run to, and things that we run from. I, I run to Mexican food. Uh, I, I run to sports. I run toward authentic people. I, I run from self-absorbed people. I run from snakes, and I run from horror movies. I can't stand them. And there are things in your life that you run to, and there are things that you run from. And we're gonna, I wanna find out what they are. So we're gonna take a little quiz here. And all I ask for in this quiz is honesty, just honesty. And, and if I know you and I feel like you're not being honest, I may call you out, okay? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put some, scripture, script, uh, some pictures up on the screen. And if that picture is something that you run toward, I want you to stand up. And I'm going to do it with you. You thought this chair was here because I'm just too old to stand for 30 minutes, but you're wrong. I'm actually going to do this with you, okay? So if the slide is something that you would run toward, Stand up. So if you run toward this, stand up. Okay, yeah, be proud. All right, sit down. <laughs> Yeehaw, okay. If you run toward this, stand up. Yeah, see, Midwest beef, that's what we're talking about, right? Where are my vegan friends out there? Okay, sorry. Sit down. If you run toward this, stand up. Yeah, come on. Huh? All right. If you run toward this, stand up. Lame. I'm trying to always see who the guys are standing out there. Whatever. <laughs> if you run toward this, stand up. See, there's people that like this. I can't even believe that. Whatever. Sit down. Okay. If you run toward this, stand up. These are fish tacos. Not beef, not chicken, these are fish. Come on, Mexican friends, where are we? Be proud. Fish tacos, okay. If you run toward this, stand up. Come on, come on, where are we? Crocheters, quilters, knitters, where are we? That's what I'm talking about, I see you. All right. If you run toward this, stand up. No, no. All right. <laughs> if you run toward this, stand up. This is better than the last service. Someone told me NASCAR is like people in the South. 
Midwest people aren't big NASCAR people. I'm, I'm not either. Okay, before the last slide goes up, here's all I'm going to say. If you know, you know. Okay? If you know, you know. If you run toward this, stand up. Come on. Judas Ross, nobody knows who that is. Only the greatest dramatic series ever, Masterpiece Theater, Pole Dark. Duh. All right. It will, it will change your life. Look it up, Paul Dark. Just, just below Jesus, it's the greatest thing you've probably ever experienced in life. All right. <laughs> uh, in Luke's account of the, of the Christmas story, the shepherds heard the angel's announcement and ran toward something. They heard the announcement and they ran toward something. What did they run toward? Let's read Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Luke wants to put the birth of Christ in a historical context. This, this actually happened, friends. This, this is real. Luke wants us to know the time that this happened. And all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage or family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. So the angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, Bethlehem, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. When the angels had departed from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. They came in a hurry. That phrase in the, in the Greek text is just one word, uh, the Greek word spudo. It's where we get our English word speed. It, it means to, to move with swiftness or intensity or diligence. It means to rush to something um, in response to something, to rush to something with urgency. Okay? That's what that word means. So they, they came to the manger. They, they, they came with speed, with haste, with urgency, with swiftness. They came to the tomb. So what did, what did the shepherds uh, rush to? The shepherds rushed to see Jesus. The shepherds rushed to see Jesus. Verse 15 makes that clear. When the angels had departed from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and 
see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's go and see this thing. The shepherds rushed to see Jesus. And, and we, we are rushing to all kinds of things right now in this Christmas season. We're, we're rushing to Christmas parties. We're rushing to Christmas concerts. We're rushing to Christmas programs. We're rushing to family gatherings. We're rushing to the mall. We're rushing to the, to the grocery store. Uh, we're, we're rushing to sporting events. Some of you ha- were rushed to the hospital yesterday because of that Vikings game. Remember that? <laughs> I mean, we, we are rushing everywhere in this season. I, I wonder if we're, if we're rushing to the, the right Christmas stuff. I wonder if, like the shepherds, we're actually rushing to see Jesus in life. That was their highest priority, was that they had an urgency from the angel's message to run to the manger and see him. And we're, we're so scattered. Have we, have we lost that Christmas rush? As I thought about this, I, I thought about people in the New Testament that, that in some way and for some reason they ran to or rushed to Jesus. There, there was some need in their life in which they, they rushed to him or ran to him. And as we read these stories, as we talk about these stories, my prayer for you is that you, you resonate with, with one or more of these stories about people that had a need to rush to Christ. The first is the story of Zacchaeus, a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus rushed to Jesus to see his love. Zacchaeus rushed to Jesus to see his love. Here's his story. Jesus entered a town called Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran, say he ran. He ran, he rushed ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. Zacchaeus was a lonely man. Um, he, he was a tax collector and he, he didn't have many friends because he cheated people out of money. He was a Jewish tax collector who collected taxes for the Roman government from his Jewish brothers and sisters. But he didn't just collect the amount that the government wanted, he collected more than that. And the people knew that and they despised him. So Zacchaeus lived a very lonely and socially isolated life. And sometimes we do too. Sometimes we deal with loneliness and social isolation in lives. Sometimes single people deal with loneliness in their life. People that have been estranged or cut off from their family or hurt by their family sometimes suffer loneliness and a a sense of social isolation. Um, If you're in a a bad marriage, sometimes you might feel lonely or isolated. Widows, people that have lost loved ones, sometimes feel lonely and isolated. My, My mom deals with that. My mom deals with loneliness and bouts of loneliness in her life because just a few short years ago, she lost my dad. And since then, she, she says, you know, I, I have friends. I have good friends. She has a good church. There, there's people in her life. <clears throat> but dad was there all the time. 
D Dad was her companion. And so that sense of companionship <clears throat> sort of removed, excuse me, <clears throat> removed that, that sense of loneliness. Zacchaeus rushed to Jesus to see and experience his love in his loneliness. And my mom has done the same thing. My, my mom hasn't rushed or run away from God in her grief. She's run to him. And, and she spends way more time reading the Bible now and, and way more time meditating on scripture and, and way, she, she's memorizing scripture. She's telling me all these scriptures she's memorizing and all this time that she's spending in prayer. Uh, she, she, she recognizes that, that in order to fill that place of love in her life, she needs to, to press into Christ. She needs to run to Christ. She has friends and friends are helpful, all that's good, but they're not there all the time. Here, here's what she said to me the other day. I, I love being with my friends, but I'm okay being alone. Isn't that good? I love being with my friends, but I'm okay being alone because she's found the companion that's there all the time. She, she's discovered Christ and his love, which never leaves. Where, where are you running this Christmas season to find love if it's not to Christ? Where are you rushing to find that remedy for loneliness or for isolation in your life? See, Zacchaeus understood something. He understood that in his loneliness, he needed to experience the love of Christ. So he ran to see Jesus. Are you this season? A sick woman rushed to Jesus to see his power. A sick woman rushed to Jesus to see his power. Let's read her story this morning. A large crowd followed Jesus and pressed around him. Now, let me give you a a picture, you have to understand this in context. This is Jesus, what was called his season of popularity. People loved him, they loved his teaching. He healed everyone that came to him. There were two or three times he multiplied you know, fish and loaves and fed people. He loved people, he, he, he cared about them. And so this was literally hundreds or thousands of people pressing around Jesus, not, not like a, a couple dozen, okay? That's the context. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding or hemorrhaging for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his coat because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now, that, that sounds like she just sort of casually walked up and touched him. But remember what I told you how many people were there? Thousands of people, all pressing in on Jesus, all wanting to be around Jesus, all wanting to be close to him. And here's a, a very sick woman that pushed her way through. She pressed her way, probably moving people out of the way in order to get to Jesus. This was like the shepherds. Remember I said they were urgent, they were moving with swiftness and tenacity and intentionality. That's what she was doing, pressing in. And it says, immediately her bleeding stopped when she touched Jesus. She felt in her body that she was freed from her what? Her suffering. This woman had a menstrual issue that caused chronic ongoing suffering in her life. And that chronic suffering produced hopelessness. 
The text just told us that she was hopeless. She was hopeless that anything could change. She'd spent all of her money on doctors and trying to find a cure for this, and not only did she not get better, she got worse. She, was, she had run out of options. You ever feel hopeless? You ever feel hopeless that your circumstance can't change? You ever feel, feel hopeless that, that, that you've done everything and now you're, you're out of options? What, what do you do at that point? She rushed to Jesus. She, she ran to experience and to see his power. Maybe, you're hope, maybe, maybe you have a rebellious child that's just wandering out there. And, and, and when they go deeper in sin and farther away from God, your heart goes deeper in hopelessness because you're wondering, can anything change them? Could anything bring them back to God? Maybe you have a chronic illness. Maybe you have an ongoing physical problem that, that's become so frustrating. You're, you're hopeless right now that anything could change. Unfortunately, I sit fairly often with couples in my office that are on the verge of divorce in, in their marriage. And as they sit there with me, they're usually hopeless. They've given up hope that, that their spouse can change, that they can change, that their feelings will somehow change, that their circumstances will change, that somehow this thing's gonna get better. They, they sit there in their suffering, like this woman who had suffered for 12 years. They've been in a marriage for 12 years that's been bad. And they're wondering, is there, is there any hope? Can I change? Maybe you're there in, in, in a season of hopelessness right now, like the woman that rushed to Jesus to see his power in her life. Isn't that what the Christmas story is? Isn't the Christmas story about the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ? Do you remember the story? Do you remember the, the, the angel coming to Mary? And the, the angel said this to Mary. He said, you are going to become pregnant. You are going to carry the Messiah in your womb. And she said what? Are you kidding me? That's my translation. She said, how can this what? Be. Seriously? I'm a virgin. I've never had sexual relations with a man. How is it possible that I could become pregnant without those physical means? Do you remember the angel's response? The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. This conception, this pregnancy is not gonna be a result of human effort. This is gonna be the supernatural work of the Spirit of God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. That's the Christmas story. How can this be? You may be saying that right now. How, how could this possibly change? And my question is, where are you running for the power to see your life changed? Or are you beyond that? Are you completely hopeless? This, this woman was hopeless, and yet she said, I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about his power. I heard that he changes lives. I've heard that he heals the sick. I've heard that he raises the dead. I've heard that he does things that are humanly impossible. This is my only chance, is to rush to him and see if his power can change my life. Where are you rushing to see your life changed, if not to Christ? Christ is the source, 
not only of love for the lonely, but power for the hopeless who don't believe their life and their circumstances can be changed. Peter rushed to Jesus. Peter rushed to Jesus to see his grace. Peter rushed to Jesus to see his grace. Let me give you a little background to this story. So y'all know that the, probably the, the night before Jesus was crucified, that he was eating the Passover meal with his disciples and he said, someone's going to betray me. One of you will betray me. And Peter jumps up immediately and says, not me, Lord. I will never betray you. I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Peter didn't believe it. Well, that night, they, they, they took Jesus, arrested him, took him to the, 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 high, the high court's house, and he's in the courtyard, and they're, they're testing him and trying him unfairly. And Peter follows Jesus to the courtyard, and people begin accusing Peter of knowing Jesus. You, you're a Galilean. You know him. And he said, I don't know him. Second time, I, I, I swear I don't know him. Third time, the text says, Peter is, is standing in the courtyard, looking across the courtyard, and as he says, I swear to you, I don't know him, Jesus looks at him, their eyes meet, and Peter realizes he's looked in the eyes of his Savior and Lord, and he's just denied him the third time. And Peter is crushed and broken and runs away weeping. Peter is filled with guilt and grief and regret and remorse in his life. So Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus is put in the tomb, Jesus resurrects. After the resurrection, Jesus begins to randomly appear to the disciples. One time they're, they're in a house together, Jesus just appears. Boom, he walks through the wall and he's there. And, and Jesus is going to appear in this story to the disciples on the beach as they're fishing. Here's how the story goes. Simon Peter said to the disciples, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are also coming with you. They went out, got into the boat, and that night they didn't catch any fish. But when the day was now breaking, at sunrise, Jesus stood on the beach. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish to eat, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find the fish. So they cast it, and then they were not able to haul all of the fish in because of the great quantity. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, don't you love how John describes himself? I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He said to Peter, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. Jesus has appeared to us on the beach. So when, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment because he had stripped for work in, in the sea fishing, and he threw himself into the sea. There is no text that indicates up to this point, even as Jesus appeared after the resurrection to the disciples, that Peter was able to have a conversation with Jesus to get that settled. That, that his denying Christ was still lingering and still standing between them in the relationship. He was carrying guilt. He was carrying shame. He was carrying that, that residue of, of a sense of regret and remorse for sinning and letting Jesus down. And so it says that when, when he heard that it was Jesus on the shore, he threw himself, that's the word that we saw, he threw himself into the lake. He didn't even want to wait for the boat to get there. He, he started swimming to shore. That word in the Greek is balo. It's a violent word. It means hurl or throw or heave or cast. 
It, it was used with the prefix, prefix ek when it talked about Jesus casting out a demon. Ekbalo meant to drive a demon out or violently cast a demon out of someone. Peter recognizing Jesus on the shore, wanting to have that shame and that guilt re resolved in his life, hurls himself aggressively into the lake and begins to swim to the shore. They get to the shore, they bring their fish on the shore, and they, they have breakfast together. And then it says that after breakfast, Jesus and Peter had this conversation. And Jesus forgave Peter, and Jesus restored Peter to his calling. Jesus restored Peter to his ministry of, of leading God's people. See, Peter had had that, that place of shame and remorse and regret and guilt removed in Christ. What are you carrying today in your heart? Shame, regret, remorse, guilt? What, what, what are you still carrying? What is between you and your relationship with Christ? And what are you rushing to to get rid of it? Alcohol doesn't wash it away. Drugs don't remove it. Do, doing good things doesn't, doesn't forgive you of your sin and remove your shame and guilt before the Lord. Only Christ can do that. And Peter, in his shame and in his guilt and in his sense of regret for sin in his life, man, he thrust himself into the lake and swam as fast as he could to Jesus to get that settled in his life. What are you rushing to today? Where, where are you going in your life? What are you rushing to to try to, to, to find peace in your heart because you're not at peace with God? Jesus Christ is our peace. He's the only means of human forgiveness and cleansing and washing and restoration to that relationship with God that will make you whole. It's Christ alone. Peter rushed to Jesus to see his grace. Maybe you do this Christmas as well. Peter and John also rushed to Jesus. They rushed to see Jesus' faithfulness. They rushed to see his faithfulness. So after the crucifixion, Jesus is put in the tomb and on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb because she wants to, to put fresh spices on Jesus' body. She gets to the tomb and she finds out that the body's not there. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Here's the story. On the first day of the week, on Sunday, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. And she saw the stone had already been removed from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and said to the, the other disciple that Jesus loved, there he says it again, and, and said to them, she said, they've taken the Lord from the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. So, so Peter and the other disciple left and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together. And the other disciple, that's John talking about himself, the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter. <laughs> I'm the disciple Jesus loves more than anybody. And, and oh, by the way, I beat Peter to the tomb. I'm pretty much way faster than Peter. He came to the tomb first and he looked in but he, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but, he, but John didn't go in. So Simon Peter also came fully out of breath having been whipped by John getting to the tomb, <laughs> following him and he entered the tomb also. And John looked at the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings now, but folded up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had come to the tomb also entered. John now enters after Peter, and he saw the same thing that Peter saw, and he now 
believed. Peter and John were with the disciples in a room somewhere, uh, discouraged, disappointed, and feeling let down by Jesus. Jesus said that he was the Messiah. Jesus said that, that he came to save Israel. In their minds, that meant he was going to be a political leader, that he was going to be a, a, a military leader, and he was going to deliver them from Roman oppression. He was going to set them free as slaves in, in Rome. Instead, he dies on a cross, a, a humiliating death, and now he's laying in a tomb. And they feel betrayed by Jesus. They feel like Jesus said one thing but did another. He, he promised that he was going to save us. He promised that he was the Messiah, and now He's dead, and maybe you feel let down by God. Maybe you feel disappointed by God. Maybe you feel God's betrayed you. Maybe your child died and didn't come to life through prayer. Maybe your health is failing significantly, and you're feeling disappointed in God like he's let you down. Maybe you've lost a job or lost something else in life, and you're, you're carrying this sense of, disappointment and betrayal, if you're honest, before the Lord. Peter and John were disappointed at that moment in time, but even in their disappointment, look where they ran. They ran to the tomb. They ran toward him. They, they, they ran with some sense of hope that even though they were disappointed, <coughs> excuse me, even though they were disappointed, maybe the story hadn't been finished. Maybe the story wasn't complete. Maybe there was an ending to the story that they weren't aware of. Let me ask you the question. Are you willing to trust God in your faith until you see the end of the story? Until you see what God's going to do in and through your life <clears throat> through that tragedy? Until you see the good that God brings out of that? Are you willing to keep trusting? Or are you willing to trust the faithfulness of God even when you can't see it? Even when the story hasn't gone the direction you want it to go in life. When I was in high school, I had a basketball coach um, that had cancer when he was a child. And that cancer was in his neck and he had it removed, but they, they took out like half of his neck. He had this huge indentation. It was really obvious and not attractive. And he was bitter toward God that he had gotten cancer as a child. And it probably affected much of his childhood. He was probably sick much of his childhood. And he'd hardened his heart against the Lord. Well, I graduated from high school after being coached by him. And I, I graduated from college. And, and I went back to my high school and I coached with him. I was his assistant coach for three years. And I shared Christ with him. I shared the love of God with him. I shared how God could save him and give him eternal life, that God cared about him, and he hardened his heart. He, he wasn't open to God at all. He'd just become bitter. He wasn't willing to see how the story could end. He wasn't willing to see how God might bring a good ending to that story. And as far as I know, he died and entered a Christless eternity, which grieves me because I love the guy. But he hardened his heart because he wasn't willing in, in a sense of disappointment with God or betrayal with God to trust that God could bring a good ending to the story. Peter and John in their disappointment, Peter and John in their betrayal rushed 
to see if Jesus was faithful. I want to encourage you today. Rush to Christ to see if he's faithful. Let him finish the story in your life. Have you lost the Christmas rush? Has every other priority stepped in except the priority to see Jesus? Where do the shepherds see Jesus? The shepherds saw Jesus in the manger. Where do we see Jesus? Well, we see Jesus in Scripture. We see Jesus in prayer and in meditation. We see Jesus in our Christian friends and in other believers. Mother Teresa said, we see Jesus Christ in the face of the poor and the needy because Jesus said, whenever we help even the least of these, we do it unto Christ. And M Mother Teresa said, you, you look into the eyes of Jesus when you look into the eyes of the poor. We, we see Jesus all over. We also see Jesus when we gather and come to church, don't we? We see Jesus, hopefully, in the preaching of the word. He comes to life. We see Jesus in our worship, hopefully. And you know where else we see Jesus? In communion. When we sit at the Lord's table, when we take the elements in our hands, we see the crucified Son of God. When we take communion, we see the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. We're going to take a moment and rush to Christ through communion. As we get ready to take communion together, uh, if you didn't have a chance to grab your bread and wine on the way in this morning, no problem, just slip up a hand and we'll have the ushers snake their way in and out here to make sure you get what you need here. So slip your hand up, we got a couple over here. Here at Central, we practice what's called open communion and what that means is regardless of your faith background or what uh, type of church you grew up in, we'd love for you to participate uh, in communion. For anyone who's put their faith in Christ, we'd love for you to, to join us at the table this morning. Parents, as always, we trust you with your kids to know what age is best to get them started on communion. So make sure to shepherd your kids through this process this morning. So do this in remembrance of me. That's perhaps the most familiar phrase we hear when we start to sit at the Lord's table, right? You've heard this before. Jesus started communion by, by instituting this phrase, right? Do this in remembrance of me. Think about the characters we just studied this morning. Zacchaeus, Peter, John, the sick woman. There was a time for each of them when they had communion for the first time, and they were probably trying to figure it out, right? What did Jesus tell us to do? We want to obey. We want to listen. What? We're supposed to do something in remembrance of him. And I don't know who Zacchaeus or the woman or Peter or John, who they were gathered around the table with, but whoever sat around their communion table for the first time, they would have had firsthand accounts of seeing Jesus. Aren't you and I the same? Don't you have firsthand accounts of how you've seen Jesus show up in your life this last week, or this last month, or this last year in, in 2022? See, before they passed the, the cup and the plate that day, Zacchaeus could have shared, well, I saw Jesus do this with whoever he was sitting with, or, or John, or the sick woman could have said, well, I, I saw Jesus do this, and I think you and I are the same this morning. I saw Jesus do blank. In my life. So before we partake of the elements this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to reflect. How have you seen Jesus show up in your life? If you were seated around the table with Zacchaeus and the rest, what would have you shared in remembrance of what Jesus had done in your life? 
Now, if I'm seated at the table, here's a few things I might have shared. I might have shared, I remember seeing Jesus send a baseball buddy into my life to share the gospel with me and, and lead me to Christ. It happened through a baseball friend for me. I saw Jesus do that. I might have shared about uh, this last week when I was, I was praying and work was particularly hard this last week and uh, it was heavy and confusing and there's this upheaval in, in, in work with what we're doing right now and I remember just saying to Jesus, this is hard and heavy and I don't know if I can keep going and Jesus said, Dusty, don't forget I'm a rock. Could you just bring your weight of work to me and let me carry it this week and then just keep going? Okay. So I saw Jesus walk into work this week for me. If I was seated at the table with the sick woman or Zacchaeus or you guys, I might share about a time 11 or so years ago when me and my wife walked through a miscarriage. I just remember the pain of that and watching my wife scream at the Lord in anger and going, how could you do this, God? And I, I remember going, I don't know if she'll ever want to walk with God ever again based off of this pain. And then, little by little, ever so slowly, I remember just watching Jesus heal my wife. Didn't happen overnight, but over the months, over the years, to the point where 11 years later I can say, I saw Jesus heal my wife's heart. I saw him do that. If I was seated at the table with you or Zacchaeus or anyone else, those are some of the things I would say, yeah, this is my do this in remembrance of Jesus. I remember seeing Jesus do these things. What is it for you this morning? Why don't you just go to the Lord in prayer for just a moment before we take the elements and just tell him, Jesus, I remember seeing you do this in my life. Go ahead and pray for a few moments. So do this in remembrance of me. And those that practice communion for the first time had firsthand accounts of seeing Jesus. So do we this morning. And perhaps the most uh, important ways we see Jesus is in his crucified body and in the blood he shed for us. So go ahead and pull out your bread or the cracker this morning. Take it together here. Jesus, this morning we just pause to remember the very way you told us to. We remember that you gave up your body and you didn't have to, but you gave up your body for every single one of us. Thank you for that this morning, Lord. Let's take the bread together. And not only do we see Jesus giving up his body, but also his blood to cleanse us from sin, to make us brand new women and men. So Jesus, we're thankful for the, the blood this morning. It gives us a brand new fresh start. So thank you, Jesus. We see your body, we see your blood, and we're so thankful for it, Lord. Let's take the cup together.